Well, last week we looked at a four-point sermon that Jesus preached, and he preached it as he was sending his disciples out. They had been sent out once. They had been kind of debriefed on how that mission trip went, and now he's going to send them out again. He knows during the Great Commission, he's going to send them out to make disciples of every nation, and he knew that they would face Problems. They knew they would that they would face obstacles, and so he gave them this four-point sermon. And last week, if you were here, if not, you can go back and watch it on video. If you were here, we talked about the first three points of his four-point sermon. Do you remember what his first three points were? They were they were each one started the same way. Do not be anxious. Fear not. Be ye not anxious. Do not fear what? He said, number one, you don't have to fear death, particularly death by persecution. He said, look, you're going to be sent out. And sure enough, the, many of the early Christians were martyred. He said, you don't have to fear death. And just under death was what? You don't have to fear death or public speaking. Right? Which for many people, they're like, honestly, those are, those are reversed. I'm so terrified. Well, he said, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say when you're put on trial. They're going to persecute you and, and, and they're going to bring you before the, the courts. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear trial and what you're going to say and public speaking under trial. And you don't have to fear the lack of basic life necessities. Why? Because God's got you. God's got you. God's got you. But that brings up his fourth point, and that's what we're going to be today. Turn to Luke 12th chapter. Luke chapter 12, we're continuing. All of Luke 12 is this sermon Jesus is preaching, and he's made these first three points. You don't have to fear death, you don't have to fear trials, and you don't have to fear, you know, starvation and going without. But that brings up his closing point. He closes with this. If you don't have to fear these things, it brings up the question that is underneath all these questions. The question upon which all these other questions rest. You don't have to fear death because God's got you. You don't have to fear trials because of God. You don't have to fear starvation because of God. But here's the question. But yes, but how do I know God's got me? How do I know who God is? How do I know? How can you keep saying you don't have to be afraid because of God? But how do I know about God? And that's why Jesus uses as his fourth point the question underneath all these questions. He raises in one verse, he gives us this. This is shots fired against your anxiety and it's our text for today. Luke chapter 12 verse 32. He says, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For all who are anxious, for all who struggle with worry or they're frightened, this is a sermon you can preach to yourself. So I'm going to give you some notes. I'm going to give you some things to write down today. So I'll give you a minute to look around and uh, uh, whether you have uh, uh, been taking notes all your life or whether you're just getting started, even if you're a little kid, you'll be able to jot these notes down. I'm going to give you three reasons. And why I'm giving you this is so that you'll have notes this week for a sermon you can preach to yourself. When you feel anxiety, if you're obsessing over negative thoughts or you feel fear, here's how you can fight back against that fear. Here's how you can overcome the lies of the enemy. You don't overcome lies with more lies. You only overcome lies with truth. 
And I'm going to give you the truth of this verse, Luke 12, verse 32. Three points I need not fear because of who God is, because of what he does, and because of why he does it. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In this one verse, we find out who God is, what he does, and why he does it. Right here in this one verse. I keep pointing up here. I should point down here. The verse is probably below me. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Before I go any further in this message, I want to say one, I want to reiterate something I tried to say last week. I want to say it again. Notice he's, what does he call his flock? His little flock of sheep, what does he call them? Little. He doesn't say, fear not, mighty warrior, armed to the teeth with self-confidence and bravado no 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 fear not little flock he knows he understands he doesn't say fear not mighty army no fear not little flock he says i understand the fear seems so big and you feel so small out there the enemy feels so powerful and you feel powerless it seems like everybody else has the resources and you have so few resources little flock why do I say that because I want you to know that Jesus understands where you're at and if you feel anxious or if you struggle with fears and worries and anxieties I want you to know you're not a weirdo okay you're not uh, you're not some sort of second-class Christian that Jesus just wants to pass over and only use the tough guys no 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 No, that's part of why this verse is so powerful. He's saying, I'm acknowledging up front, I know you're going to need courage. I know you're going to need a word of encouragement, little flock. He knows. And that's why this verse is so powerful. That's why if you feel fear, anxiety, Christian, you're not disqualified from God's team. He wants to encourage you. And he wants to let you know in this verse who he is, what he does, and why he does it. So note takers rejoice. You've got your three points. First, I need not fear because of who God is. I need not fear. This is your first thing you're writing down. Reason number one, I need not fear because of who God is. Now, why do I say that this verse tells us who God is? Because it gives us three images and each one tells us a little bit about God's character. First, fear not little flock. Ah, flock means what? It means we are his flock of sheep, implying he must be our shepherd. A a shepherd, think about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, right? He's, He's gonna take care of me. A shepherd knows the condition of his flock. The shepherd knows. Think to John 10 where Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep. How about one of the most famous sheep stories of all is the sheep story Jesus told in Luke 15 when he said hey if one of you have a hundred sheep and one wanders off he doesn't say eh 99 is good enough right 99 rounds up to a hundred I have about a hundred no he has exactly 100 and he knows their name And he knows the name of that little sheep that wandered off. And that shepherd goes high over the mountain, down through the valley. We will never know how deep 
the valley or dark the night that the good shepherd passed through and he called out the name of that missing sheep until his voice grew hoarse he called out as his body was cut by briars no telling what he went through to find that sheep that was in danger and the and the name of that missing sheep was your name he's a shepherd that means he knows means he knows your need he knows your needs better than you do he knows what you need and you can pray for big things and you can pray for small things he knows he's a shepherd and a shepherd above all else knows what the sheep need and he knows better than we do see a lot of times as sheep we think we know what's best but the shepherd actually knows and that's why he what he leads me psalm 23 he leads me beside still waters he doesn't get behind me and drive me we're not cattle he doesn't drive us like cattle. he leads us savior like a shepherd lead us and he leads us beside still waters he he knows what we need shepherds know but he's more than a shepherd he's also a father why do i think where do we get the image father it literally says for it is your father's good pleasure fear not little flock flock implying shepherd for it is your father's good pleasure every good father knows that the fundamental requirement for being a father okay the the the, the sine qua known of fatherhood is that my job is what at boil it down yes i'm supposed to do all these fatherly things i'm supposed to teach my son how to shave you know i'm supposed to you know show up at the t-ball games and not yell at the referee oh okay fine but the, the but the, the bottom line what it means to be a father is i'm supposed to care for and protect these little minions that are running around my house at no point am I supposed to go to my four-year-old and say, hey, you're supposed to go knock out the rent bill this month. No, no, no. No, that's on me. The father is supposed to care, right? So we have a shepherd who knows. Father, our heavenly father, cares. And there's a third image. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to what? To give you the kingdom. There's the third image. He's a shepherd. He's a father kingdom what does that imply well there's only one person who can give away the kingdom and that's who that's the king and that's who he is only one person has that kind of authority i know it's difficult in modern times when you talk about kings and kingdoms because we really don't have an equivalent oh sure england has a kind of figurehead i suppose and and i guess in america we have a a, a a a three branches of government we have the legislative branch which makes the laws we have the judicial branch that interprets how to apply the laws and we have the executive branch whose job it is to make sure the laws are carried out well the king was the judicial the executive and the legislative all rolled into one he was judge jury and executioner the king took care of everything. The king was the state legislature. He was the federal government. He was all of it. And that's who we have as a heavenly father. No electoral college ever had to vote God into place. God is just God. God is not anxious in heaven, worried about his status. God is not up in heaven wondering how the poll numbers are doing or an approval rating, wondering if he's going to get elected to God for four more years. No, God is God. He's the king. His ultimate authority means he has power and authority. Now watch this. There's only one person who has the audacity to go into the king's bedroom at 3 o'clock.
o'clock in the morning and demand a glass of water. And that's the king's kid. <laughs> and that's the, uh, that's the privilege you and I have, isn't it? He's a shepherd, he's a father, he's a king. What does that mean? He knows our need, he cares for our need, and he has the power to do something about our need. Did you ever think about that? If only two out of those three character traits of God, if we only had two out of the three, what a terrible place we'd be in. For example, if he was a father and a king, he cared about our need and he could do something about our need, but he wasn't a shepherd. He never knew about our need. Sorry, I just didn't know about it. Be terrible. Or, or if he were a shepherd and a king, I know about the need and I can do something about it. I'm just not a good father. I don't care. Be terrible. Or if he were a shepherd and a father but not a king, he's a shepherd, he knows about the need. He's a father, he cares about the need. Sorry, you're on your own. I wish I had the resources to help you, but I'm just not a king. No, 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 He's shepherd, father, and king. So you don't need to fear this week because of who he is. Now, are you prepared to preach that to yourself and to other people when you need it this week? Are you prepared? Are you just hearing these words on a screen? Or are, you gonna, are they gonna sink into your heart? Fear not, little flock, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to fear because of who he is. Secondly, you don't have to fear because of what he does. See, the first reason you don't have to fear is who he is. He's shepherd, father, king. But the second reason you need not fear is because of what God does. And what does he do? It is your father's good pleasure to what? To give you the kingdom. Now that's meant to be good news and that, that's supposed to get you excited. But sometimes with words like kingdom, uh, let's be honest, we get a little um, uh, used to words like that. And if we're not careful, we don't really stop to think about what it means, right? So those of you that grew up in church, you're going, yes, the father's good pleasures to give me the kingdom. Awesome. Great. What does that mean? Right? And uh, for those that didn't grow up in church, if I say, hey, the father's good pleasures to give you a kingdom, you're going, great. I'd really rather have a gift card. Like, what, what am I going to do with the kingdom? What is that? Well, here's what it's not. He doesn't say it's your father's good pleasure to give you money. That's not his promise. He doesn't say it's your father's good pleasure to give you fame. That's not his promise. He doesn't even say it's your father's good pleasure to always protect you physically from any physical harm or sickness. No, that's not his promise. By the way, the Christian hope is not the ultimate hope. Maybe a penultimate hope might be physical healing, but the ultimate hope of every Christian is not protection from death. The ultimate hope for the Christian is on the other side of death, resurrection, new life. Our Lord went through the Good Friday cross and then was risen again on the third day Easter and he's the first fruits of what every Christian can expect we too will go the way of the cross we too will live a life of sacrifice for others and on the other side our ultimate hope we too will be risen from the dead so what it doesn't promise is some sort of earthly success right no no no. instead give you the kingdom what does that mean well okay fair question kingdom let's start there what is any kingdom a kingdom is anywhere the rule of the king extends anywhere the rule of the king so if you come under the rule of the king you're part of the king's kingdom uh take the roman empire just as a simple example if you live in Philippi or wherever, let's say, uh, you come under the rule and reign of Caesar. Caesar is your king, and that means you're going to pay taxes back to Caesar. That means everything you own has Caesar's image imprinted on it. 
right? You, you, you owe Caesar that coin, that tax. Why? Because it's got Caesar's imprint on it. So everything you have goes back to, you are under, you follow Caesar's laws. You live in, and there's penalties and there's, I mean, you, you come under the rule of Caesar. You're also under Caesar's protection. If the Goths or the Visigoths or whoever, I'm trying to remember my Roman history and I'm failing, but if there's some foreign invader that comes in, you get the Roman army behind you. Why? Because you're under his protection. You're, he's your king. Well, that's an earthly kingdom. The Roman Empire was an earthly kingdom. But there were these people that were part of the Roman Empire that would, they would make the Romans nervous. Why? Because they would be good citizens and they would be loyal and they were certainly very giving and very helpful. You couldn't fault them for that. Their lives were above reproach. But they would always say things that made the Romans nervous because they would say things like, our ultimate king, they would even use the word Lord, was this guy Jesus, who they said was crucified and rose from the dead. Their ultimate king is Jesus. And Christian, that's your ultimate king. That's my ultimate king. Make no mistake, I'm in the kingdom of my king, Jesus Christ. I'm part of his kingdom. Why? Because his rule and his reign is exerted over me and over my brothers and sisters. So this kingdom is a strange kingdom right now. The kingdom of God is an already kingdom and a not yet kingdom. The kingdom of God is an already kingdom and a coming kingdom. What do I mean by that? Well, for every heart, for every blood-bought, born-again child of God. And they're, they're, listen, there are believers all around this great globe right now from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. These are our brothers and sisters, and I have a connection to them. We, why? Because we worship the same king. And all around the world, everybody who's, they're coming under the kingship of God. That means his kingdom is already here. And they're doing things that, that are kingdom things. They're helping the sick and they're feeding the poor and they're preaching the gospel and they're teaching the word of God. They're, 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 working, on, they're working on people's cars for a fair price so that their car, they can go to work and put food on the table. They're, they're teachers who are teaching little children every day in the schools. There are, there are people who are, who are baking cakes for the, for, the, for the glory of God, whatever, right? There's all sorts of ways to live out the kingdom. And so it's already here, but it's coming. It's coming. And it's coming a new heaven, new earth, where his kingship extends over everything. Now, that also means, let me insert this now. That also means that those who reject the kingship of God, those who say, we don't want you, God, as our king, well, there's coming a future for them too. Where can you go where the, this is God, the universal reign and rule of God. Where could you possibly go where God is not king? You'd have to go somewhere where God was not, and that would be hell. The best definition of hell is a place where there's no God. And with no God, there's no nothing of, that's anything good. Just a place that no human was designed to go. A place designed for Satan, who what? Who didn't want to come under the rule and reign of God. He didn't want the kingdom of God. That's hell. That's the destiny for all those who harden. If you continue to harden your heart and you continue to reject God's free offer of salvation, that's the only place that it makes sense. You, if you don't want God as king, if you want to be somewhere where there is no God, that's what hell is. Well, for those who have come under the kingship of God, for those who are part of this kingdom, there is coming new heaven, new earth. Now, this isn't a series about heaven, though that's available uh, online. You can go back and find this series on heaven. But here, new heaven, new earth is coming at the end of all things. 
at the end of Revelation, John sees, right, the new Jerusalem dressed as a bride coming down. And which direction is Jesus coming, right? Those who are dead are going to come and meet him in the air. Which direction he's coming? We're not floating off to heaven as if heaven is some sort of, uh, uh, you know, ethereal place where we're all kind of floating around on clouds with little harps and halos and angels. No, 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 no. No, he's coming here to bring heaven to earth for new heaven, new earth. The final kingdom of God where every square inch is literally his. He is in our midst and there's no possibility of sin and rebellion. In other words, we're to be little vice regents of God as he deputizes us to go and take dominion over new heaven new earth with no possibility of sin ever messing anything up again go go make something of the earth make something functional or beautiful some of you in new heaven new earth you could take a hike that could last a million years don't wait up for dinner I'm going on a hike those of you that love the spring in Alabama Imagine the spring glory as, 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 as the buds of these trees explode in their spring beauty. Imagine the spring beauty of Alabama without any allergies. Can I get an amen? Right? Imagine, if you will, the glory of new heaven, new earth. What do you love to do? For those of you, you're already doing that now. Some of you who are musicians, I think about Chuck. He takes that guitar and from the void of the wire and the wood says, let there be music. And it was good. What is it that you're doing? You're taking dominion over the earth. Imagine being able to do that in an unhindered way forever and ever. Everything for the worship of the true king. That's what he's promising. That's what he wants to give us. And that's what's coming. That is a Christian's sure and certain hope. That is coming. By the way, if all this sounds familiar, it's because that was the original plan back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, what does he tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over the earth and you'll be my people. I'll be your God. God would walk in their midst. But imagine now, unlike the Garden of Eden, imagine now no possibility of sin ever destroying again. Mm. That's what the kingdom is. And that's why he promises to give it to us. So that's why we need not fear because of this kingdom that's already here and coming. And finally, the third reason. I need not fear because of who God is, because of what he does, and finally, because of why he does it. Why he does it. Why does he say in this verse, little flock, don't fear little flock because it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom because he wants you to know that uh, God is not going to give us the kingdom begrudgingly. No, it's your father's good pleasure. Why does he do it? He delights in giving. He loves you. He, this, what Jesus is trying to eliminate in this verse, I believe, is this bad theology that some of us have that somehow God is grumpy. If we're not careful, we start to think and we teach our kids that God is somehow unhappy all the time. It's just the opposite. He's the happiest being in the universe, filled with joy, volcanic joy. And out of that joy, he wants to what? He wants to give you the kingdom. God, God is not, uh, sometimes we think that God will forgive sin, but he's not happy about it, you know. As if God has been backed into a corner. Now he's a judge and some clever lawyer has gotten a criminal 
off the hook because of some technic, some legal technicality. And because of the legal technicality, because everybody knows he's guilty, but I have to declare him innocent because of some, you know, technicality. No, 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 no. God delights. Filled with joy to love, to forgive, to give the kingdom. I thought of an illustration of this, and I guess it's for everybody who's, everybody who's 16 and under, I need your attention. So I know maybe it's tempting. I know sometimes preachers talk a long time. You're doing your best. But kids, kids, teenagers, I need, I need to talk to you. Uh, sometimes it's easy to feel like your parents are hard on you. I know. I know. Uh, they're, they're, they're strict, and they make you follow these rules and the chores and all that stuff. But can I, can I tell you something? I want you to look at this in a different way. And parents, pay attention, because this analogy is for you too. I want you to look at this in a different way. It's easy to think, man, why are my parents so hard on me? They're always wanting me to do the right thing. They're always getting me up, out of bed. You know, they're making me do these chores. They're making me follow my studies. I'm having to do all this stuff. Is it because they, they don't, and they never trust me, right? They're always making me check in, do these things. Is it because they don't trust you? Is that it? Or, or is there coming a day, there's coming a day when I'm going to take a set of car keys and I, I, I haven't been there. Some of you parents have been there, but this is a big day and I'm going to give to a teenager, to my children, I'm going to give them a car. They won't own it, by the way. They can just, they just borrow it, but I want to make that clear. Anyway, uh, I'm going to give them car keys. Now ponder that. When I give over those car keys, that is real power. That, I mean, that, 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 that's a one-ton device that can go 70, 80 miles an hour if you choose. And I'm asking you, I, I want, I, listen, I want to give you this power. I just need to know that your character is ready for that kind of power. Now that's that's car keys. That's a simple illustration. But could it be that your parents are not being hard on you because they're mean? They're being hard on you because they know they've got to prepare. We've only got about 18 years to prepare your character for the kind of power we want you to have. See, here's the secret. We actually want you to have power. We want you to have freedom. We want you to be able to drive a car. We want you to be able to go out and not call you all the time and find out where you're. We want that for you. We just have to make sure your character is ready to handle that kind of power because too much power with not much character is going to lead to destruction. But character, oh, we want your character to be so big and so strong and so built on God that you can handle any freedom that you're given. Now, now, what, what's the analogy? What's my point? God doesn't just want to give teenagers the car keys. God wants to give you the kingdom. He wants you to rule and reign for eternity. Do you remember that hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? There's a line in that hymn, if you've ever heard it. To him who overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. I ask people, who's that verse about? Shall reign eternally. And everybody says, oh, it's about Jesus. No. No, that's not what the hymn is saying. I know the language is a little, you know, to him who overcometh, a crown of life shall be. I know these old hymns were often written in Yoda. Mm, a crown of life shall be. I know. You have to reverse it. But what he's saying is if you overcome, if you hang in there by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, what happens? You receive the crown of life. You, with the king of glory, shall reign eternally. You're going to reign. You're going to rule. And if you can't handle... The, the, the suffering that you're going through now, how are you going to handle when you're the king over New Baltimore in the new heaven, new earth? Hmm? When you're the king over New Coleman, when you're the queen over, over New Birmingham in the new heaven, new earth, how, how are you going to handle that? 
Or blessing. If you can't handle the blessing God gives you now, if you hoard it and you spend it on yourself and you're not generous, how are you going to handle the blessing of the new heaven, new earth? Don't you see? Our good shepherd, father, king is trying to get us ready for new heaven, new earth. That's why when he brings us suffering, he's not. He brought you to it so that he can bring you through it so that your character will, will grow. He wants to increase your character because he's about to, what he wants to do is give you more freedom and more power. He's just got to make sure your character's ready. Every fairy tale, every fable, you know, I'm reading some great story. My kids are at a great age where we're reading those kinds of things. It's always the same story. The little boy who's spoiled, the little girl who's spoiled rotten. They grow up to be rotten kings and queens. But who makes the best kings and queens in these stories? It's the beggars and the street urchin who, through some reversal of fortune, becomes a king. Why? Because they weren't given everything and they're appreciative and they're humble. And they, That's what God wants. That's why he says... He wants to give you the kingdom. He doesn't say, dear flock, you're going to earn the kingdom. No, no, no. This is a gift. This isn't a wage. No one can earn it. It's a gift. And he delights to give it. That's why you need not worry. Because of who he is, what he does, and why he does it. As we close, uh, last week I made the point that... uh, for some of you, uh, these are great promises, and I hope that you're encouraged by these promises. But listen carefully. If you're not a child of God, then no matter how good these promises are, they're not for you. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time. Just, just briefly, I want to have a time of reflection and response, and this is what I was thinking. We're going to put the church phone number up here again. If you're hearing my words, and you're watching this live, And you say, I need to talk to somebody. Because Tom is talking about promises, and I'm not sure those promises are for me. Will you call this number right now? Or if you'd say, I'm a Christian, I just need some assurance. Will you call this number, let a minister pray with you? These could be the greatest promises in the world. But I'll say it again. If you are not a born-again believer, if you have not been rescued, then he's not your shepherd, and he's... I don't know any other way to say it. He's he's not your father and he's not your king. And you have no comfort in life and in death. But listen to me, listen to me. But he can be today. Why would you not let today be the day of salvation? Today be the day where you say, wait a minute. I want God as my father, my shepherd and my king. I want to submit and yield to his lordship. I'm tired of being the king of my own life. I want God to be the king of my life you can have that today just 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 pray reach out to him call the church office right now get someone to pray with you lead you in salvation whatever it is let's pray together heavenly father i ask that these great promises put fresh courage into the lives of believers that we would fear not knowing that who you are and what you do and why you do it it's your good pleasure to give this little flock the kingdom I pray for anybody who feels far from you today that today would be the day that they realize you're not so far away. Today would be the day of their salvation. God grant for the the ones that we're praying for, the, the who's your one, grant, oh God, that you would save them. Call them home. Let it happen even today, oh God. Let them be saved. Thank you for being our shepherd, our father. 
and our King. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, don't forget, after immediately following this live service, uh, First Kids Worship, followed by First Kids uh, Sunday School, the pre-K Sunday School ministry, also available, all this great material. And as soon as we have the benediction, as I said last week, one of the best parts of the, uh, of the worship service each week when we come corporately is handshakes and high fives and uh, uh, hugs and loving on each other. So try to do that. Take, take the phone immediately after the service before you do anything else and just reach out to a few church members, a few of your brothers and sisters, uh, a few of the folks, maybe the folks you normally sit near uh, and just, just let them know that you love them, you care about them and uh, let's really uh, 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 try to increase how much we care for one another even though we're not able to meet face to face. All right, stand to your feet for the benediction, wherever you are. Stand up if you're able. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I love you.